Good morning. And for those that I haven't seen, Happy New Year and all of that good stuff. Uh oh, don't know my password. Seriously. Okay, there we are. If you would take a moment to pray with me. Dear and gracious Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day that you've blessed us with. Though it's snowy, it's cold, it's dreary, we still look forward to having your light shine upon us. Father, we just ask that you will be here with us, open up our hearts and our minds, so that we can hear from you and receive from you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, O Lord, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, happy Epiphany. Uh, the Feast of Epiphany is acknowledged and celebrated on the 12th day of Christmas, which was yesterday. The word Epiphany means appearance or manifestation, the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. We think of revelation, insight, or shedding light on who Christ was and is to us. We associate it with the arrival of the wise men, um, the magi who, felt, who followed the star, the light that led them to the Christ child. The symbol is usually represented by the, uh, enlarged main, the enlarged star over the manger. During the Advent season, we have engaged in meditative moments each week called Shadow and Light. The purpose was to take a few moments and to intentionally quiet our thoughts to reflect on the darkness that preceded the birth of the Savior and to see the light that has overcome the shadows from the hope that his birth brings. The acknowledgement and celebration of Advent and ultimately Christmas Day leads us into the celebration of Epiphany. And I mentioned last month that I had the opportunity to witness the birth of one of my grandchildren. It's a birth story and or experience that I will not soon forget, if ever. And from time to time, I'm reminiscent of my own birth story. It had been told to me over the years quite a few times. On the day that I was born, my mother had gone into labor late in the evening and I guess by the time it was closer to delivery, it was getting closer to midnight. So the way she told the story was that the medical staff were taking bets to see if I would be born before midnight or after midnight, on the 9th or on the 10th. And it just so happens I was born on the 9th at 11.56 p.m. She never spoke of any pain or discomfort that she may have experienced, nor did she even talk about the joy that my birth would have brought to her. How dare she? However... Um, she always just spoke about whether or not I was going to be born before or after midnight. So each of us has a birth story. Um, we may know it, we may not. Some were nice and clean and smooth. Others maybe not so much so. Some may tell stories of being born at home or in other unconventional places. Either way, we each have a birth story. Even Jesus has a birth story. Over the years, his story has been told time and time again. And some versions of his birth story, we find that the wise men, or the magi, were there at the time of his birth. We, saw, we see the scenes of nativity. They usually have these three figurines that represent the wise men at the time of Jesus' birth. But they showed up later, after the time of his birth. People have taken creative liberties and inserted the wise men at the birth. When we have Christmas plays and things of that nature, we want all the kids to have a role, so we insert the wise men ahead of time so that everybody can have a role. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, is where we find the visitation of the Magi. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, known as the Synoptic Gospels, they each tell some of the accounts of the Gospel. However, the story of the wise men is only found in Matthew. It was the same with Mary's song. It was only found in Luke. And we can ask ourselves, well, why is that? We can argue that the story, either one of them, did not make the cut when the books were being translated or being recorded by the scribes, considering that the books were written at different times in different locations. Could it be that John and Mark did not mention the Magi visit because Christ's birth story is not mentioned at all in their books? So no need to include the Magi visit. Could it also be that much of the information in each book of the Bible was written to particular audiences for a particular time, and the visit from the Magi nor Christ's birth, but maybe his works, were what was necessary to share at the time. As we ponder the question of why was Matthew the only book to discuss the Magi visitation, here's another question to ponder. Why were the Magi interested in visiting the Christ child? You may say they went because King Herod told them to go and come back with a report, but they were already going that way when they came upon King Herod because they had already seen a star and wanted to follow the star to the child. The star was their guiding light. Back to the question though, other than going because King Herod wanted a report, why would they go to see the Christ child? When we tell the story of the Magi or the wise men, there are images that we typically lean towards thanks to the various artists who have created imagery of what the wise men may have looked like at the time. The word Magi of Latin and Greek origin through an old Persian word, Magush, which is a Zoroastrian priest. I had to say that word time and time again to get it right, and I still got it wrong. Um, the word Magi is also referenced in Daniel 2 and 3, which leads scholars to believe that perhaps Matthew's use of the word Magi was an attempt to align with other associated terms, such as the sorcerers, astrologies, magicians, and enchanters, which were operative during the Babylonian exile. Sorcery, astrology, they were not uncommon practices in the ancient days. They are practices that circumvent God's work, wisdom, God's word, wisdom, and power. The skill set for any of these individuals would make them wise, or at least appear to be wise. As a young person hearing and reading the scriptures about the wise men, I envisioned these men with a high level of intelligence or knowledge that people came to for advice, direction, or guidance, not necessarily a wizard or a sorcerer. Yet those individuals, they are wise and intelligent, and they have the ability to foresee. The question again, why, why was, or was why, the question again, why would the Magi come to see the infant Christ? Well, the scripture tells us why. They ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The magi, the sorcerers, the magicians, they wanted to worship the newborn king? Why would they, who have this gift and use it in such a way to provide people with visions for their future, would want to worship the king, and an infant king nonetheless? This was a manifestation of God's glory to the Gentiles. The research that I conducted also states that Though we have seen imagery that includes three men riding on camels, there may have been more individuals on the journey. Not only more individuals, but some may have been female. And as we further discuss the visitation of the Magi, we want to also acknowledge the gifts 
that were thoughtful and symbolic. And thinking about the number of gifts that were mentioned, that also lends to our thinking that there were only three people present. The gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold representative of Jesus' royal lineage. Frankincense, a perfume or incense. And the myrrh, an anointing oil, a reminder of Christ's mortality as a human. A few weeks ago, during the time of reflection, someone spoke about the thought that she encountered when choosing gifts for two different people. And while the world put a price tag on the gifts, what was really important was the attention behind the gift and choosing a gift from the heart that meets the heart of the recipient of the gift. Beloved, just as the Magi were intentional in gift giving, so also was God when he gave us his son Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus was the light that drew the Magi. Jesus is the light that we need in this dark world. This dark world filled with hate because we are different from one another. This dark world split by political angst. This dark world filled with sins against God and against one another. This dark world filled with war, poverty, violence, anger, and homelessness. Where is the light? Can light be shed upon these dark clouds that hang low? The answer is yes. The light that we seek today, such as the light the Magi followed long ago, is the light known as Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 12 and 46, I have come into the world to be light, so no one who believes in me will stay in darkness. We also find in John 1 and 5 that the light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not overcome the light. As we think about the dark clouds that hover over this world, we have to be mindful that as followers of Jesus Christ, we will encounter dark times. We will experience suffering, suffering for the cause and the case for Christ. In 1 Peter 2 and 21, we are reminded that Christ suffered for us, modeling for us what it looks like to suffer in him. Verses 23 through 24, he was insulted, but he didn't retaliate. He suffered, he didn't threaten harm. He fully trusted himself to God. He bore our sins in his body on the cross with the hope and expectation that we would live justly and righteously, and by his wounds we've been healed. I don't know about you, but I've experienced the insults, degrading comments, character assassination, blatant racism, and had to choose to hold my tongue for various reasons. And the main reason is that I'm a follower and ambassador for Christ. Responding with the same negative tones and energy would be detrimental to the body of Christ. It would defeat all that I have strived to become as one who loves God. It would send mixed messages to those that I've influenced, such as my children. Being made in his image, choosing to follow him, means that we are subject to experience pain and suffering. And just like the Israelites, the Babylonian exiles, there is hope for restoration, hope for transformation and elevation. This is cause for celebration. See how I just did that? Epiphany is the time to celebrate the joyous occasion of Jesus' birth as the, as the season of, of Epiphany leads us to the Lenten season. Another season of contemplation as we meditate on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This, for me, is also a reason to celebrate. It seems dismal sometimes when we think of death because of the emotional pain that the physical loss of our loved ones brings. But when we view that loss with our spiritual sense of awe and wonder, 
It's a cause for celebration because our loved one has departed this earthly life for the eternal life we long for. As we take a look at the text for today, Isaiah 61 through 6, the words celebrate in capital letters with several exclamation marks. The words guiding light, the words heaven on earth all jumped out at me. But I knew I could only choose one as the title for this message. So guiding light was the most appropriate as we think about the star that guided the Magi to Bethlehem. Guided light, guiding light is also appropriate as we look at the text today and consider verses 1 through 3, where we find the command for the people to arise and shine because the light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon them. Have you ever just stopped and watched the sun rise? You can't guess. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever just stopped and watched the sun rise? You don't, thank you. Yes. You don't have to be on a beach to watch the sunrise. You can look out a window at your home. And I can't speak, I won't speak for the great people here at First Mennonite, but I will speak for those that I have conversations with about the busyness of our lives. When we do not take time to notice the sunrise, we're waiting for daylight some days before we go out of the house because it's so dark. In the darkness, we don't always find safety. In the darkness, we sometimes experience trauma. And the darkness is where we may encounter the ruler of the dark world, which we call Satan. In this chapter, we find the command, arise, shine. In simple layman terms, get up. The Israelites in this story were exiled and were to return to Jerusalem. They were going to go back home. I can only imagine that hearing the words, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. That was a sign of hope and a time for celebration a sign that God's light and love is shining upon them and things were finally turning around for them. God's light runs diligently throughout the scriptures. It's mentioned over 200 times. Arise, shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Now I mentioned watching the sunrise. And if you've ever taken a few minutes to watch it, you will find that the earth as the earth rotates, it seems like it takes forever for the sun to rise when it actually only takes about two minutes. But when we're in a hurry, that two minutes seems like 20 minutes. When we are distracted, that two minutes can go by so quickly that we've missed the moment because of the distraction. Distractions from the sunrise comes in various forms. It could be failing health, it could be illness or disease, or toxic, toxic relationships, loss of employment, mundane busyness, it could be sin. Have you ever had a moment of darkness and it seems there was no hope for healing? Did it seem like there was no hope for a better tomorrow? Did it seem like there's no hope for an improved relationship or improved finances or different opportunities for growth? Verse 2 says that darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. In Exodus 33 and 18, Moses had an experience with God. He asked God, please show me your glory. He was asking for a glimpse of who he is, but in Isaiah, the exiles did not have to ask. They were told that they were recipients of God's light and glory. In Exodus, when Moses asked to see God's glory, he asked to behold God's face, and God told Moses he would not be able to withstand the illumination. 
the illumination, the guiding light. At the time of God and Moses' conversations, God would show up as a burning bush, light. Then when he revealed himself to Moses, it wasn't the, illum the illumination and the light that we've been afforded today. God passed by Moses, and all Moses could see was God's back. God said, my face must not be seen. But in Isaiah, where there's hope, we find that the exiles have a hope of restoration, being guided by the light and being covered in his glory. The book of Isaiah, written primarily by the prophet Isaiah, divided into three parts, and it is believed that what we're studying today is the third, was written in the third part, but is being attributed to the prophet Isaiah. Today's text comes from part three, and Isaiah's name means the Lord is our Savior. As we ponder on the scripture today and the idea that God delivered the exiles from their days of darkness, shone his light, and covered them in his glory, it's appropriate to his name and character. The Lord is our Savior. As we walk away today with the thought of this new season, epiphany, we have an opportunity to see God's light in the darkness. We have an opportunity to be God's light for someone. Now, I'm going to tell this other little story, and somebody may think, it, may think it sounds simple and silly, but when you pay attention, you can find lessons and see God moving in all things. And when I think about the cause for Christ and being restored and transformed and elevated, such as we find in the entire chapter of Isaiah 60, I'm reminded of the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph had what some called a deformity, a defect. He was different from the other reindeer. As a result, he was an outcast. As people of God, we sometimes can be considered outcasts. As people of God, or, or we can be left out of activities because of our faith. Being believers, we are set apart. We are to be in the world and not of it, yet we are not outcasts. But back to Rudolph. I am a firm believer that we all have lights to shine. Some of us have lights that are big and bright and are seen immediately and just lit all the time, where some of us might need a little more motivation to activate our lights. But according to Rudolph's story, it was a foggy night when Santa needed a bit more light to make it through the night. He called on Rudolph, who had a natural light to assist him on this journey. Friends, we are, we can be, we shall be someone's natural light to assist them on their journey. You never know when your genuine smile, your kind words, your kind gesture will be the light that someone needs at a particular moment. As believers of Jesus Christ, just like the exiled Israelites, we also have access to God's guiding light and his glory covers us. Let's walk in his image and be a guiding light for someone trying to make it to Bethlehem to see the newborn king. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Host, hear our prayer today as we offer adoration for the birth of the newborn king. Accept our praise as we stand in awe and wonder of the manifestations and revelations of the Lord our Savior as we honor and revere Christ. Bless, O Lord, this place of worship and all who worship here with your gracious presence that your love may be our inspiration, your wisdom our guide, your truth our light, and your peace our benediction. Enlighten us with the brilliance of your epiphany star so that as we go into the world, we might clearly see our way to you and discover you in all we do. 
We ask through the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.